This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Consulting, leading experts for assessing and transforming management, sales, culture, and team performance. Learn more at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Is it possible to over-communicate? And how many companies are under-communicating? Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith, the President and Founder and CEO of SalesFuel. And Audrey, I pretty much can guarantee you that we're not one of those companies that over-communicate. <laughs> no, I think we, I will cop to that. As a yes. matter of fact, I would, I would even go so far <laughs> as to say like the very worst companies at communications are communications companies. So That is we'll true to, as well. I'm curious to hear what Lee has to say about that. That's right. Lee Carraher is with us today. Hi, Lee. Thanks for coming. Hi, guys. It's so great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, Lee, you are the best-selling author of two books. I'm going to read the titles off. The Boomerang Principle. Love it. Inspire lifetime loyalty from your employees. And you say, loyalty is not dead. Fear not. You will explain why. Mm -hmm. And Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. Founder of and CEO of Double Forte, a national PR and communications agency headquartered in San Francisco and New York. And you believe, Lee, that leadership is communication and that everything you do as a person, a manager, your own personal brand speaks for you. You're on a mission to help people and companies lead through communication. And so our other Lee in the room. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, we wanted to know what percentage of companies do you think under-communicate? 100%. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> we, we didn't even take a bet on that before the, no, before the show started. The we it, start. <laughs> it is impossible to over-communicate. It's impossible. You know, um, we used to use this number seven, seven times the right person has to see the right message in the right place to, you know, absorb it. And now we use the number 37. Uh, for the same metric. And uh, I'm not, you know, suggesting that companies need to say something 37 times, but one and done is never enough. Well, yeah, for various reasons. Now, are you talking about internal communication? Or are you talking about internal and external? Because external stakeholders can say, you're sending me too many emails. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone. Right, who are we talking about here? Um, internally, you can't okay. say, you can't over-communicate. Externally, you can't over-communicate either. If you're getting, if you're telling, you know, if you're sending too many emails, you're sending the wrong ones. So that's different, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can communicate wrong. <laughs> yeah. what, about the, so, what about when you, when you have uh, people in, in your company with compliance? Like, I can't be in that meeting. It's like, I've got so many things that I have to do later. I don't have time. Like, yes, but we, then, then we have to say, we, we need to be in the meeting because we need to communicate with you what's going on so you know what's going on. <laughs> It's like, but when, what happened, what do you, how do you handle that pushback when you say like, the people that complain about too many, you know, too many emails or postings on, on Slack or, or too many meetings that they're being asked to or something like that when you know that they need to be there to, you know, to be informed and know what's going on? I think there's a couple of things. One, you know, if people are complaining about too many meetings, they're not getting value out of that meeting. Mm-hmm. So uh, you need to restructure your meeting. The, you know, if people are getting value out of the meeting. What, uh, what's the agenda and is it set up for success to what you actually want to convey? So I would look at that first. Um, Number two is, you know, it's not a prerogative 
for people not to say they'll be at a meeting that the boss calls. So having an expectation around what, uh, you know, uh, of how people are going to participate in communication is something that every culture has to decide up front uh, and reinforce all the time. And I would say, you know, in person, once, maybe twice with a re reinforcement, mm. in an email, in Slack, and then as a referral, you're still going to have one-on-one -on -one meetings where people go, I didn't see that. I didn't, what are you talking about? I never yeah. saw that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just being ready with the, you have to be responsible for the information that's given to you. Uh, and how you hold people accountable for that is not the same thing as do you have too many meetings. How do you hold them accountable for it? Explain the importance of it and what they're missing out on or how they sort of gum up the works of the pipeline when they're the odd man out and don't know what's that, going on. Yeah, I think the most important thing in teamwork is understanding is for individuals to understand their roles um, and to under not just understand their roles, but understand who's counting on them. So, you know, particularly millennials get a really bad rap for being a me generation. It's not my experience. My experience is that they're very much a we generation. And the fastest way to move a millennial into the fetal position is to tell them they let the team down. The, you know, and so how you put all this context around, you know, don't start anything without the context. Like, why are we doing this? Who's on the team? How can we, and ask for the input. If you're having too many meetings that are just top-down push-outs and not enough meetings and not enough opportunities for people to participate and to give you ideas well that's probably a flaw in today's communication um, and then for everybody to understand what what their roles are um, and who's counting on them and then when really when people understand their responsibility to other people on the team uh, sort of those problems go away because if you hold each other accountable if I could say to you Audrey dude you let me down why am I holding your bag and just not have it be an issue uh, you only have to hear that once or twice and then it goes away yeah, I wouldn't like to hear that ever. <laughs> right? For anyone. Right. Well, yeah. the problem is, particularly for older people, so I'm the last year of Boomer, we were not brought up to actually be, uh, to bring that up, to be confrontational that way, to resolve conflict quickly. Millennials, on the other hand, no problem calling each other out, in my experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. None. Dude, you let us down. You said you were going to do this. You're going to do, you didn't do that. You didn't let us know what's going on. And if you just do what you say you're going to do, voila, things get better. So I had a thought and a follow-up question. So a thought on something that you just mentioned, you talked about the, uh, the top-down push-out. Um, you know, there is, uh, you don't need to necessarily have a meeting for that. It's like, you know, I can, no. I can, I can send an email, I can, I can shoot a quick video, I can do, you know, lots of different things there. Because if I'm not asking for your opinion and your, your thoughts or your input or something like that, then it's like, yeah, I just need to report I don't need to call a meeting at that point. You think that's? Uh, I think it depends. Right? On, I think it depends on the severity of the information. Mm. You know how? What's the? What's the? You know what's the gravitas of the situation? What's the gravitas of the information you need to impart? Uh, we're having a layoff. Probably do that in person. Yeah, you probably. Know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is no input, but there's the information, right? I think we all want to be in, you know, I think the, the places where I have the strongest communication are those organizations that are high input, low democracy. High input in that um, everybody's asking for input all the time. No matter who you are in the situation, who, no matter what role you are in, you're always asking for input. But then low democracy and someone has to make a freaking decision and nothing, you know, there are very few things in business that are a vote. You know, where to have lunch might be a vote, but you know, what strategy to take is not a vote. That's right. Right. 
Um, but you definitely want input on all that stuff, right? And how, you know, so if you are not, uh, we know there's a lot of data that says individuals uh, only 12% of the time will an individual make better decision than um, a group of people giving you input. Uh -huh. And then we also know that individuals will make um, worse decisions almost only seven, uh, better decisions only 7% or something like that of the time if you have diverse input. So the, the empirical evidence is just, you know, going to the bathroom shouldn't be a group decision, right? But uh, you, you know, for strategy, for direction, for how to treat people, for what matters, you don't want to make these decisions by yourself. You want to have a lot of input and then the leader of that situation needs to make the decision and then also tell them, tell everybody why. Because if you have 15 pieces of input, the why, yeah. Pretty much you're not going to make your 15 people happy with your decision, but you can make everybody happy with the fact that you made a decision and you conveyed the context of why you did that. What's the number one mistake that, that most managers make when communicating with their, uh, with their direct reports, do you think? Not listening hard enough. Mm. And you so know, let's, let's drill down on that. What do you mean? Leadership is listening. Leadership is listening for intent, listening, you know, and the silence tells you a lot, right? Silence tells you everything you need to know often if you can see people's eyes. So listening for intent, listening uh, with the, the, the intent to understand clearly from the other person's point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, listening for understanding, listening for interest, listening for engagement, listening for um, enthusiasm, you know, you want to listen for all those things. If I were to be asked that question, my answer to that would be not asking enough questions. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think that's true too. So look, that goes into my next question, which is there is a delicate balance then between soliciting input, but then still being the leader and saying, not like this, but I've worked in places where they've literally said, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Yeah. Um, oh my God! Really? Yes. So <laughs> my point not is a success. That is yeah. not. Uh, that's not sustainable. But, yes. So between that end of the spectrum, and I'm taking an in input to make my decision as a leader, how does that methodology and strategy create more loyalty among my employees? The thing that people um, want most in work is they want a meaningful work where they participate, where them showing up to work matters. So the uh, the fact that people listen and the fact that people take input, even if they don't, you know, uh, implement your input, uh, as long as they understand why that person is having, uh, in general, a positive experience because they're, they're being respected. Uh, and if the work is commensurate with that respect, then we can go forward on that. The loyalty, you know, I think people misunderstand loyalty. Loyalty, you know, you li you're leaving, you know, this is where people, you know, really mistake that someone says, I'm going, you know, I've taken another job. I've been here for four and a half years. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed being here. And now I'm going to go to this company and do something different, blah, blah, blah. And the reaction might be, you are so disloyal. I've done everything for you, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, you have paid them. They have shown up and done the job. That is not loyalty. That is a transaction. Mm -hmm. Loyalty is when you don't have to do something for somebody. Loyalty is when you leave an organization and that organization is still in their hearts and they're out there in the world and they say, oh, I just met Audrey. Audrey, you need to meet Lee. 
I, she might, I think she might have a position for you or Lee, you, I just met Audrey and Lee, you got to go talk to them because they could be a great partner for you. Or, uh, Audrey, I can't take this client. I think you could take this client, uh, blah, blah, blah. Those are things you do not have to do. There is no expectation of quid pro quo. Uh, and that is loyalty, right? And how do you engender loyalty as being a great place to have been from? How you? How are you a great place to have been from? You're a great place to have been from when the reputation of the organization is great. You've been able to achieve your personal and professional goals within the work constraints of that what that is offered to you. Your your um your opinion was respected, and you had input, and you actually achieved. Uh, you cannot have high high input, low democracy, and um high expect. You have to hold that and high expectations equally equally with the same gravitas, right? So that uh, you lead with kindness, but kindness is not, um, kindness and respect do not say, you know, I didn't get that done on time, I'll get it done tomorrow. No, 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 that is not respectful. Mm -hmm. You know, you let everybody down. We all now need to compensate for you. Um, doesn't happen very often in a good organization where you say those things and, that, and you have to repeat yourself with the same person. In one of your books, I think your most recent book, you, you share a concept about an alumni program. I wanted yes. to ask more about that and what the, what the value of that is and how that works. I think the mo if you haven't finished your plan for 2019 or if you have, you have a, you know, you're missing that 10th thing you need to do this year, every company can benefit from an alumni program, no matter what size. And what I mean by that is, it's, you think about it as a place if you think about a company as an institution that will transcend somebody's um, tenure with them, right? Like a school, right? Think about this, right? Uh, you keep people attached to you, let them know what's going on. Um, perhaps you ask them, you know, when we, uh, you offer them deals or, or information that you give to your employees too, but maybe the day later, uh, maybe you give them a, you know, friends and family deal, whatever the heck it is, right? But if you keep people connected, right, through this thing called the job that they all held or the company they all were um, employed by, people are seeking community. People are seeking the things that they had in common. And this is not something you would run as a rogue former employee on LinkedIn, right? This is something you would run from the company. Um, and you can do it in many ways, but that is keeps people attached to you in some way, shape, or form, either virtually or by having actual, actual snail mail or even events uh, once or twice a year. Uh, and the value of that is that the people who used to be with you, right, still know what you're doing and can be your advocates out in the world. The other value of it is, is that um, maybe your next employee is a former employee. And that if you are attached to people, um, they, you can let that group know first, uh, be the first to know outside your own company when you're posting for for jobs and also look and they may show up anybody you know if someone comes back to you as an employee you are getting you know so many benefits from that if you choose to make that rehire for a good reason well they already know your brand and your brand standards you know exactly I mean, from before even if you've evolved it's just kind of built in well yeah, and they're more valuable the second time around. Why are they more valuable? They've gone into the world, they've seen other things, they can come and apply the learning that they have. They already know your brand, they're gonna do a different function, right? You have to let them grow while they're gone. And, um, and they're showing people at the company that there is opportunity for people 
uh, at different parts of their career, right? And particularly for the younger generation, so I'm going to talk millennials and Zs right now, is that they do not have an expectation of having a job for more than four or five years until, you know, maybe 35. Why? Because their parents told them not to. Their parents like, do not get stale. Do not get stuck like I did in 2009. You know, a company's not going to take care of you. You need to craft the own, your own career. Also, these people are going to work till 75 or 80. This is not the expectation that I had growing. I mean, I thought I was going to be done by 50. That came and went. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna be, I'll be working for a, long time, a, long more, a lot more time than I ever anticipated. These, this group expects to work for a long time. And they do not expect to be doing the same thing today that they're going to do at 75. Um, and they may not just have seven jobs in their career. They may have seven careers in their career. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. So on the alumni program, it's like, what if they're alumni that you don't want to maintain a don't connection in, with? <laughs> don't invite them. Don't invite okay. them. That's you get to okay. invite. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, when someone leaves my company, uh, I choose who to say you can come back to, right? Just because mm -hmm. you left doesn't mean you get to come back. If you didn't leave well, if you didn't leave boomerang eligible, you're going to have to go over a lot of hurdles for me to get you back here, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and running the hurdles while playing boomerang sounds very difficult to me. <laughs> <laughs> We've got but just you know, a... Oh, go everybody ahead. who leaves you can help you or hurt you. So anything you can do to help them help you uh, by keeping them connected to you, uh, you should do. Or neutralize them from hurting you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's like that line in Jerry Maguire, the football player, help me help you. Right. <laughs> help me help you. Um, we have a few minutes left. Uh, you are an expert in working cross-generational. Mm -hmm. um, I know we could do 12 hours on this. <laughs> Whatever little nuggets in the next two minutes you want to share with us, um, we would love to hear. It. So. so I think first is there are definitely commonalities among generations, but all of the myths are not true, mm -hmm. uh, number one. Number two, anything you can do to help a millennial thrive will help everybody else, but the reverse is not true. So if you can give that context, if you can over-communicate, if you can ask for input, um, and if you can uh, also ask for their input on how to streamline things, make things better, everybody wants that input. Uh, it's just that millennials just talk about it. So if you can do that too, everybody thrives. And I have, have high expectations for your business and your employees. Explain them over and over again uh, and reward it. Right. And if they don't, if people can't do it, there's the door. There's let them be successful somewhere else. Yeah. And, well, then that and, you know, with I don't like the overgeneralization sometimes with, with generations, because I just believe anytime you get a large group of people, no matter, you know, what they have in common or whatever, there's going to be you know, vast differences within that that group. But there is one thing that you can't deny, which is as Gen Xer, uh, we didn't have online polls. We didn't oh, yeah. have a bunch of message boards and we didn't have social media and everything like that. So the millennials and the, and the Z's out there have grown up yep. used to offering their opinion on everything and being asked for their opinion on everything. So naturally they expect that. From of course us. they do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And they also, you know, not only have they had that expectation, right, but they've also had access to people and to companies like, you know, uh, Gen Xers and boomers and silence never had. We, we grew up in a very hierarchical world. Millennials grew up in a very flat world. And in that flat world, that's really where the conflict happens between the people who expect flat access and the people who grew up with, I will let you know when you need to know uh, yes. access. Mm -hmm. You know, um, frankly, uh, you know, command and control works in an emergency and that's all that it works in. And if we think that our employees don't know more than we do, <clears throat> we're wrong. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. I mean, you have to be open to being a lifelong learner and learn from your younger people. Yeah, I think you, you, it's a fool's folly to not operate that way. Our job is to be relevant and to keep our agencies relevant and to keep your company relevant. And part of relevance is making sure that the people who are going to be the future of your business um, are incented to stay in your business. For sure. It's at Lee Carraher is your Twitter. Mm -hmm. com. Guys, you got to go see Lee's website. She's got her speaker topics on there, a little bookstore for the books and um, videos and all kinds of stuff. It's beautifully nice done. Quiz there too, a little boomerang quiz. A little boomerang quiz. See if you're relevant, you know, see what you can do. Yeah. So I encourage everybody to go see it. Um, how you spell it is Lee, obviously, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R. And I'd like to mention something. Lee, you came to us through our Manage Smarter Guest Suggestion portal. So um, ah. what, wonderful to be introduced to you that way. And we encourage everybody to go to managesmarter.com if you have a guest or you would like to be a guest. Those emails come to us and we answer them and boom, here we are. And I would really like to have have a guest on the show named Audrey, since it's, just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's been kind of weird having two Lees on the show at the same time. So it's but like Lee, kind of, I see that your first name is not Lee. That's true. Neither that's true. is mine. I'll be darned. Well, what are you guys <laughs> about cheating on the name? Damn, no, Esmeralda, no. fine. Yeah, see, I'm the second. My dad's names. the first, so my dad gets to use his first name. I get to use the middle name. That way, we we did that All so right. that we knew who mom was mad at when she yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> I was right. the fourth alive, but seventh in the line. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> Thanks again, Lee. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. It's been so great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.